Only God can heal a broken heart. We just have to give him all the pieces. This is Heart Table. Well, thank you for joining us again on the Heart Table podcast. This is episode number seven. And before we get started, I just want to let you know if you're listening for the first time, HeartTable provides a framework for guided group experiences that helps participants uncover their own stories. So we do that by identifying self-sabotaging beliefs and replace those beliefs with healing truths so they can enjoy more peace, friendships, and freedom in their lives. So that's the purpose of HeartTable. That's what we do, and we're loving how many people are being impacted by this great program, this great experience, uh, life group experience. I want to introduce Dave as the infamous co-host and my own father-in-law, and I'm very happy and honored to be here with you, Dave. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Marcus. And it's hard to believe we're already on episode number seven. That's and right. uh, what better guy to kick off number seven than a good friend of ours and brother in the faith, Alan Cerro. I've known Alan, I think, over a decade now. We met at Cornerstone Fellowship in Livermore. And I think we got a little bit closer when we got our way for some men retreats. And subsequent to that, we met a couple of times for some breaking of bread meals hanging out on his ranch then having the pleasure and the privilege to get him in our own heart table group so uh alan welcome so much to our show i appreciate it well thank you guys for the invitation a couple of uh italians i'm in good i'm in good company here i hope i i don't say anything forget about it yeah, if, if I if I mess up, do I get a pair of cement galoshes? Is that is that part of the deal? <laughs> no, no, two of them. There's gonna be a lot of grace here. A lot of grace okay. here. Yeah. So, uh, Alan, I appreciate you willing to kind of share your your life story with us briefly. One of the things I wanted to ask you to begin with is, could you share with us a little bit about your core story and the wounds that you uncovered from the lives that were kind of formed in you in your early childhood from your your the family that you grew up with. Sure, yeah. So I grew up uh, as a, a uh, only child. I had two older sisters that moved out and were, you know, not really involved in our household other than visiting periodically on, in, during summertime and whatnot. So for all intents and purposes, I was an only child. I was both my parents' second marriage. And my dad, both my parents were pretty much consumed with with work, kind of the, the traditional, uh, well, even nowadays, right? I mean, you got, you know, it was, uh, it was coming out of the 50s when women kind of went back into the workplace or started in the workplace. My mom worked a full-time job. And so they were very much consumed with what it meant to try to, well, to give, to give us a better life, but it just, well, there wasn't a lot of family unit you know everybody was just kind of doing their own thing working and i would go from school to a babysitter and not not a lot of formative family unit kind of connections stuff going on and i always kind of felt like i was 
like an independent kind of just had to figure stuff out on my own in a lot of respects. So mm-hmm. I always had you know, the love of my parents and and care. But my dad was was an alcoholic, a workaholic, and suffered with with depression. And that you know played out in a way that was not really advantageous for me. I mean, there was no uh, physical abuse for me, but there was definitely physical abuse and verbal and verbal abuse with my mom. And I just, I, I witnessed a lot of, a lot of tough stuff. My parents fighting over money and very agitated and, and physical, you know, threatening my mom, threatening my dad with a knife, wow. you know, witnessed my mom, my, my dad, you know, open-handed hit her up against that side of the head and, it was just not, not, not good, not good stuff going on there. And, and I, and I felt like I needed to be the referee for it all. So I was always like, instead of hiding in my room, I would always be kind of in the thick of it, trying to get them to stop, you know? And uh, so, yeah, that was kind of even a different thing. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe it helped me, you know, I don't know if it was better than hiding or not, but that was kind of the way, the way it happened. So so yeah, and and then and then my dad passed away, you know, when he he kind of cleaned his life up a bit and stopped, you know, the 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 severe drinking and was on a pathway back to kind of rectifying his life at some level and then he passed away suddenly. He he had a heart attack, it was it was actually a mild heart attack, but suffered with a lot of depression like I said, but he also was a hypochondriac. He was very fearful of his health because he had let his health go. So he passed away when I was, when I was 16 mm. and that I never really felt like I had any real like direction in life. Like I, I was just along for the ride and uh, you know, I signed myself up mostly, most of the time I would sign myself up for sports. I was, I was very active in sports. That was one of my, one of the areas in which I, I chose to um, seek from the storm, if you will, and and get uh, and get kudos because my dad just never. My mom was loving, you know, but she was just subservient to my dad, and my dad was just consumed with work and didn't really know how to give love or really be it be teach me what it meant to be a man or live life. He just consumed mm-hmm. with trying to make a living and deal with his own issues, and so just never, never had a family unit, never really felt like I had any, any direction. And so that, that kind of led itself to me being out, like I would find any reason to be out, you know, even before my dad passed away, you know, at as early as 12 years old, I was experimenting with alcohol and marijuana, you know, very, very young, eighth grade, you know, just finding any reason to be away from the house and out with friends. And then you get, you know, you get into trouble. Well, I shouldn't say that was just it. I didn't really get into any trouble, but I just started, <laughs> laid the foundation for medicating, you know, what I didn't even know until many years later was just this emptiness that I had a lack of, of love and direction and guidance in my life. And I would just go out and have fun. You know, kids back then, you know, you have figure out who can buy you some beer and you right. figure out how to get a little bit of a little bit of weed and you go run off into the into the 
woods or wherever and, you know, do your thing. And so that was kind of it for a while. And then I, I was interested in girls in a, at a really early age, just started finding my, my self-worth and my ability to, you know, get women to like me. And, and so, you know, and then I, I was, I was a musician too. I was a drummer. So really the whole thing, sex, drugs, and rock and roll was, boy, yeah, that was, it was game on. Right. And, and, and again, it was nothing over the top, but when my dad passed away, I, I had pretty much free reign. My mom was not a disciplinarian and my junior year of high school was just kind of like, I played in a band with older guys. We had a studio that they, that they had, you know, lined up. And it was just like, I was around all these older people and they could buy, you know, alcohol and drugs. And it was just like game on. And it was, it was, it was seemed like a normal thing to do. But yeah, and, you, you, and you mentioned something really interesting here is because uh, the uh, founder of Hard Table believes that that age range between 12 and 13 uh, we're we're great recorders of history, but not very good at interpreting what was going on. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that 12, 13 year range was really pivotal in your in your life. And so you you did you know something was missing inside? Um, not not until I would say um, around the time my dad passed away. So I was raised Catholic, and and another you know key component about my, my upbringing and my, my faith journey was that I, I saw the Catholic church as just very, very hypocritical. I mean, I'm very thankful that I had the, the underpinnings, the foundational part of knowing that God existed. I never doubted uh, that there was a God. I, it was always part of like my belief system mm -hmm. to see my dad, like, one minute, you know, we we're at a party with some friends, some friend's house, and he's behind the bar slinging, slinging booze and being the wife of the party. And he looks at his watch and he'd, he'd like to go to this Sunday mass at like 6 p.m. because it wasn't early. Right. So we could go at night. So he's like, we got to go to church, you know, and it's just like like the <laughs> of, of of just um, hypocrisy. Right. That he's he just thinks that it just. Like check the box. Right? As long as I get to church, I'm okay. And, and so that's kind of what, what I saw in the in the Catholic Church. And so after my dad passed, I was just like, well, that that doesn't work for me. And so I was searching. I I, I didn't like run from God, but I just kind of unplugged. And in college, you know, I I, I kind of pulled my grades together and was able to kind of get myself back into where I could go to college. And through college, I went on a kind of a philosophical journey where I thought, you know, I probably could have minored in philosophy because I was just trying to find man's way to fix the problem. Right. Like there's sure. got a way to explain it. Right. But but no matter how much, you know, mental aerobics, I, I, I went into it all trying to figure it out. I would I would always end up back at this gaping chasm that I couldn't get past. And that was the, the missing piece is that, hey, I, this is all great and and I can make sense of it, but it's still not connecting me to that, that the, the love and direction and kind of unconditional care and what I now know as, you know, God's love. I was just trying to fill that that emptiness with 
every other kind of thing that I could get in the world. And those choices ended up taking me, you know, into darker places that were made, left me in even more despair and a broke a broken first marriage. You know, I got married very young, had, had, uh, three daughters and really didn't, didn't really belong marrying this gal in the first, but trying to do the right thing, you know, and so that ended in, in divorce. And so, but, but out of that experience with my first wife and her family, I came to know uh, evangelical Christianity. They went to a, uh, a church, Harbor Light in Fremont. And, and in that environment, it was the first time I'd been, I, I heard a pastor actually admit that he had faults and actually point at the Bible and say, look, you can read this word that God has provided for us, take a look at it, and yeah. here's some yeah. really challenging things that you be aware of that might require you to live life differently. And that was very challenging and appealing to me because that was the piece like, hey, you know, the, in the Catholic environment, they would just sit up there and tell you, you know, how whole, you know, good things about God, but there was never this, hey, here, you can actually do something about it yourself kind of a thing, right? So that was a big demarcation for me was was being introduced to uh, Protestant evangelical Christianity. And I definitely felt the presence of the Holy Spirit in that environment where there was just a, a love and a kinship within that community of people that that was absent and devoid in the Catholic. I mean, there's lots of nice Catholic people. I'm not a Catholic basher, but I'm just telling my experience was that I hadn't, I hadn't felt, I just felt a love. I felt that I felt God's love in the midst of those, of those people. And, and about what age were you when you, you came to this realization? I came, I, I came to know the Lord at about 22 years old after our, my, you know, I had, I became a dad at, at the age of 21 years old. And that's when I started going to this church with my, my first wife and her, and her family, her, her parents and brothers. And, uh, that's where I came to know, you know, I came to know the Lord. I came to know, accepted Jesus in my heart in that environment and then was growing and got exposed to couples groups and some good stuff. But our marriage was just kind of, I mean, she was not really a strong Christian. It was just kind of, we were just trying to figure it out. And, you know, I think I had some, some demons that, that, you know, made me, you know, just, I was very preoccupied still with, with, with the idea of lust versus love. Like I, I, I only dated her because she was, you know, good looking and there was no thought behind it other than just wanting to, you know, hop into bed. And so that resulted in kids. So then I tried to do yeah. my thing. And then, but that was, it was just kind of like, it wasn't built upon a strong foundation from the beginning. And so when that, when that, when my first marriage imploded, I backslid, I just went back to, okay, well, that didn't work out. So I guess I'll just go do what I know how to do. And that's chase girls and, and drink and have fun. And, and, but, but that, that, that point is when I started becoming, I started really using alcohol as a crutch. Cause I worked for a, uh, a beer distributorship. I worked for a Coors distributorship down in the San Jose area uh, out here in California. And I worked in all these bars. I worked in what they call the on sale area, which is, you know, bars, 
and restaurants. And there was kind of the nightclub scene. So I had access to the Coors girls and tickets to, you know, Raiders, Niners, Giants, A's, Sharks, the whole shebang. And so it was like back to game on again, <laughs> just going out and having fun. And, and so then I ended up back marginalized and, and empty and, and divorced and my, and just, you know, I hit, a, I hit a bottom at one point. I remember just my trying to call my kids to say hi. And my ex had remarried and it was just like, I thought, you know, my kids were going to be taken away and they were just going to move on with their life and forget about me. And, and I just kind of hit this, this wall. And so I didn't, I didn't make my way back to church for the right reasons. I went and saw a uh, production. My kids were in a vacation Bible camp and uh, I see them and they're like musical at the end of the camp. They do like a musical. And so I went to this uh, event at a church and their the teacher that was running the whole musical is my, my wife now of 25 years. As is a, that right? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I connected up with her and, and she was very much, I mean, she had some brokenness that she had just gone through, but was a very strong, you know, woman that loved the Lord. And, and honestly, she led me back into, into faith. And that's, you know, there's, there's a lot to that story, but really the, the crux of it, I think guys, is that I, uh, you know, I tried everything that the world had to offer. You know, I always made pretty good money and I, I have was, you know, blessed to be able to play, you know, music and, you know, have friends that had boats and running around. I mean, it was just all of that was kind of reminds me of, of Solomon, you know, not to the same extent. I mean, Solomon had riches and wealth, but but I mean, in, in like in Ecclesiastes, it talks about, you know, he, he lived his life like to the fullest. There was nothing that right. he didn't right. have access to. But he still ended up coming to an emptiness, you know, mm-hmm. in his life where he was just like, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, everything is meaningless, you know, and this kind of a depressed, like, you know, and, and he had he walked away from his, uh, the, you know, King Solomon. But uh, so anyway, yeah, so so I don't know where where we go from there. If there's some other. Uh, it's, it's an incredible testimony and it, it certainly yeah. gives God glory that he doesn't give up on us and, right. and, you know, he pursues us. So given what you've shared about your background and your struggle with uh, alcoholism, divorce, the passing of your father, uh, you've been in the faith now as long as I've known you in a strong way, what would you say the biggest impact of your conversion, the old Allen versus the new, you know, could, cause Corinthians says the old is passing away. The, the new is becoming. What's the new becoming like for you with your conversion? Yeah, you know, you know, when you talk about conversions, you know, they run they run the gamut, right? Like mine wasn't an instant instantaneous thing. It was, you know, I for for about ten years I was a functional alcoholic, but like still calling myself a Christian and going mm-hmm. and going, you know, participating in in church events and thinking I was okay, but I was just, you know, silently in a compartmentalized way, just continuing to use alcohol to medicate my stress. I had, you know, kind of a high pressure 
job and and that's an excuse but at any rate so even through that right i had to hit a bottom i had to almost lose my second marriage i mean we we were an eyelash away because we were a blended family right so i brought three daughters into my new my new marriage with this gal that loved the lord but she had two kids and at first it seemed like wow this is great you know we're the hunky dory but blending families is not for the faint of heart so we Went yeah. through that. That fueled my my use of alcohol too, and just tension with my ex, and just all kinds of craziness. And uh, so, and, but all through that, I we were just I was still, you know, professing myself to be a Christian. I was a Christian. God, it's mm-hmm. your hadn't let go of me, but I had to. I had to still, you know, run, run my head into the wall some more, and 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 be a knucklehead about the the blended family and find you know you, you got a lot of company <laughs> yeah. yeah so i think there should be a t-shirt we're all knuckleheads for jesus uh, absolutely yeah. yeah but but just really you know in retrospect you know and, and and we our kids went through a lot between the blended family my unhealthy you know lifestyle when i was drinking you know during the formative years i was just kind of an absentee that you know they were always taken care of but i was just kind of tuned out emotionally and spiritually. But as I, after I hit a bottom and, and almost lost the whole shebang again, I, I found the 12 step program and, and I found who God really was in that, in that, you know, I, I couldn't, it was, he's not just an add on, but you have to surrender the whole shooting map to him oh, and so let go and let him be in the driver's seat. And, and still that to this day, I think, you know, as Christians, we all, struggle with that because we're given self-will and in the western culture we're very independent driven right so we're always trying to run this show so it's a constant surrendering and you know still to this day i'm working my wife and i are still we're working on things like intimacy is huge with guys right i mean i did not have a clue i built it all on just lust right and 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 that just that's not really love that's not what god designed for a, a connection between man and wife. It's not just a guy pleasuring himself, you know, it's, it's, it's a mutual, you know, caring, loving, selfless act right. together. And I, I'm frankly, I'm like a kindergartner in that whole environment right now. I literally just learning after just years of asking it and my wife not wanting to be, you know, a nag and just, you know, thinking, well, if that's the only area, you know, that's, we haven't worked on that. That's, but she's finally just like, look, do we want the very best for our marriage or, or don't we? And so here we are. We're back. We go to a counselor like once a month and we're and I'm learning what intimacy really, really looks like. So that's big, a big change, you know, because addiction tendencies run in strings. Right. It's not just, you know, if you if you're if you have an addictive tendency, it's out for me, it's alcohol. It's it's. Uh, it's lust and, and just lack of knowledge, intimacy, and a little bit of anger. And that's not too much on the a little bit of anger. Just, just I tend to get, I can get very critical and just kind of project myself critically as a as a means of just kind of lashing back out. So those those things are you know you're forever doing inventories of yourself and why you know why did I say that was that appropriate and just trying to self correct and give it to God and teach me how to be different, fill me up with your spirit and 
give me a heart to, to be, you know, to be selfless with my wife and, and with others. It's an ongoing thing, right? I mean, sanctification, it's just that process of just, as yeah. you grow closer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And process, that's a, that's a key word in, in the uh, journey. Marcus, any questions you want to ask Alan about Heart Table? Yeah, I mean, I know Alan before he joined Heart Table, but I really wanted mm -hmm. to, you know, when when Alan became part of our group, I know that when I was part of it, it impacted me a lot, especially when I was facilitating and really getting to know Alan on a di whole different level. And I want to ask Alan, like, after he got out of that group and experiencing the stories that were shared together, what did that do for you, Alan, being able to be around a group of guys, some that you didn't even know, what was that experience like for you? If you could tell us just- yeah, Especially because we had to do it over Zoom. Yeah, I mean, we, exactly. We couldn't yeah. even hang around a fire pit. We had to do it all virtually. Exactly. Right, right. No, it, it, I, it was a wonderful experience. I mean, I, I will say that I was pretty, pretty open to that. I mean, guys tend to be, you know, reluctant to, to get into environments where they share. But my, my experience in the recovery environment forced me into transparency and connecting. You know, I have a, sp I have a sponsor, a longtime sponsor, and, and then I have people that I disciple and, and sponsor as well. So but what was unique about, about Hardtable is just the act, the real, some similarities and crossovers between the 12-step stuff, but just the real, like the core story thing and the, the lie really speaks to the part of recovery that that is called this pick and shovel work. It's the fourth and fifth step where you mm -hmm. into the, the inventory of your life and figure out why am I the way I am? You know, you can't, you know, I, I use the analogy of a, uh, if there's a, if there's an oil leak in, in a, in a, in a pipeline that's going through the water and there's, and there's an oil leak, guys, and guys especially they'll they'll just keep scooping the oil off the top like forever right because <laughs> guys well, that's what guys do but but back to, back to being knuckleheads <laughs> that's right but but hard table in keeping with the like the fourth and fifth step of doing that work you gotta you gotta dive down and go into the hard and fix that leak underneath the water and that's that's to me what what hard table does it, it it guides you through that process but but also through that you get to hear everybody else's stories and the, just the connection the genealogy connection i really enjoyed that that was that was a, a new kind of an eye-opener thing to really make the connections with all the uh, the different people from mm. your country and and people that had an influence on you and so it gave me a lot of more um perspective on myself and great connections into some some new guys into you know you two who i knew um at some level but got to know you so much better still mm -hmm. and other guys that i still kind of connect with you know you know in a much deeper way just because we have that that kinship and that common bond of having kind of shared that that experience that's right that's right yeah, That's and, awesome. and, and uh, thanks, Alan. And yeah, and as we as we've grown as an organization, we I know that the core story we kind you kind of stopped at the core story. We didn't go any further, but as we've came out with a new volume of Heart Table, we're now able to uh, go the next step after the core story. 
which is really exciting. So maybe maybe one day we can reestablish that group again, you know, and that's what's cool about this. We can always pick up where we left off. So thanks, Alan. Thanks, Alan, for sharing that. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I still I still have some connection with Mook and uh, yeah, and Eric Ford, because they run in we run in some of the similar circles in, in, in the ministry stuff that yep. that goes on here in the community. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and what's really cool is I'm uh, I meet with Mook on a regular basis and uh, he, he, he even though our time at our table was short. Uh, we're still carrying it on, like you just said. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Alan, you know, you, you've eloquently and so directly explained so much of your life journey. I want you to share, if you would, please, how God has used, how he's healed your heart so much and had such a huge impact and change. How you now are acting as a change agent for people that are kind of in a rough, rough patch of life. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, you know, and, and again, I, I, I've said a lot of um, stuff, you know, throwing my dad under the bus a little bit here. And, and, and I, I, tend, I try not to, to do that because, you know, I was reminded by a, a mentor I had years ago since passed away that he called me out on the carpet one time and he basically said, you got to stop playing the father card. And, and that was a little bit, mm. but, yeah. but the point is, you know, we had that relationship where he could be rough, right? It was kind of like slapping me inside the head because he'd heard it so many times, right? His base, but he said, but the point, you have a heavenly father that is far, far exceeds. You have access to a father that far exceeds your heavenly father. So you kind of need to like get over it and move on. So yeah. The father to the fatherless, as we say. Uh, yeah. so even to that extent. But uh, I actually want to plug uh, this Men of Hope that you're involved with. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on both Men of Hope and Tri-Valley. You can say they're, they're interrelated at some level. But what I wanted to say about my dad was that my dad was actually a very, I, I got my heart to help my, my, my um, you know, my gifting to, to connect with people and my, and my generosity and my heart to help from my dad he was always working mm. he was never afraid he would talk to the garbage man all the way up to a ceo he was just very approachable that's uh, awesome that that so i got I, you know so you know and he was just trying to do the best he could in his life and he was went through the korean war that impacted him and a lot of ptsd that was probably undiagnosed and stuff so so got that from my dad and i, and I really committed myself to community service pretty early on in my 30s uh, in this community group that I served in, on a board, little community where I grew up in Fremont. And, and, and I just always felt like I needed to be involved in something that was helping, helping others. So kind of the, the next thing was that Cornerstone, I got involved with the, with the moving ministry. So we were helping people move. And then I got introduced to Shepherd's Gate, which is a, a, a shelter. It's, it's a lot more shelter. It's a Christian uh, program and, and, and housing program for women. And I served on that board for many years and, and worked through a really difficult transitional time when the executive director passed away unexpectedly and had to kind of step in and learn how to run that organization for a while and then find a replacement. And then God led me to, um, to a guy that actually had interviewed for that position at Shepherd's Gate, but he, he was, he, you know, we look back now and we, we're glad that 
we didn't hire him because we hired the right person for Shepherd's Gate. And now I work with this other guy in a ministry called Tri-Valley Seek and Save, where we work with, with marginalized women and their kids, mm-hmm. kids out of the foster care system, going kind of upstream, trying to stabilize their lives and by coming alongside them. It's like a family would come alongside one of their kids that that came across, you know, some rough patch in life. And we just, you know, we help them financially. We help them get plugged into a church. We connect them up with a, a bunch of service partners we work with if they need car repairs or they need a car or they need counseling or they need tutoring. So we're kind of a conduit for all kinds of different services that we heat up and uh, and and every situation is a little bit different, but we stabilize those families and, and help them to know that they're loved by God and then get them back on track. So that's, that's one ministry I work with. And then the other one that you guys mentioned is men of hope tri Valley, which is a, I call it a movement of men that, uh, yeah. yeah. And we, and we, it came out of the men's ministry at Cornerstone fellowship, but uh, that church had made a decision quite a number of years back to, not just men's ministry, they, they kind of just stopped doing specific ministry. They just started doing what I call trickle-down ministry, where they just kind of let things happen organically. So men's ministry just kind of got pushed aside. So I was able to kind of step in, shore it up, and actually couple it for like, I guess is the best way to say it, take it out from underneath one church's purview and make it a multi uh and try valley wide the three cities that that you know we live in here dave and i uh pleasanton livermore dublin and san ramon a little bit That's great That's and great. and just make it a a place where guys from all around the valley want to hang out once a month and have a breakfast and we have mm. you know a discussion we have a speaker but it's really more of a facilitation of table talk discussions and getting down to like heart table type questions, you know, just, you know, that's what, that's what guys connect around is meaningful questions, interaction. We call it discipleship through community. Guys need community like heart table again. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, maybe we can get heart table on there uh, one day. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, Hey, uh, well, I know we got to wrap up here shortly, but my question to you is if someone's hearing this podcast and they want to get involved, is this an open invitation or is this something that, a man that's out there that that wants to get involved and they're near you is there a way yeah, for like them a, to get a hold of website? you website you got a website we we do have a website it's uh men of hope tv.org so men of hope with no spaces t is in tom v is in victor .org .org um, okay yeah it's an under construction website so it's we need we need to put a little bit of energy into it. But it's got our uh, our statement of faith in there. But yeah, it's completely open to guys. It's as simple as coming and hanging out at a breakfast with us, and and then we actually do an annual men's retreat, which is in October, October twentieth, twenty first through the twenty third. Awesome, um, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, Alan, it's been it's been great just hearing all all your answers and and your story and and all that you're involved with. So. We wish you the best on all the things that you're doing for the community that you're you're impacting. Um, you really had you really had a heart change, and uh, yeah, it was just a joy to have you with our heart table group. 
you added so much to it and you've added a ton of encouragement and yes. i'm marcus i'm sure you'll agree i feel a lot more hopeful about things going on in the world when you got guys like alan yeah absolutely yeah and and it takes just it you know i was talking to my wife the other day your daughter and she we were talking about like how sometimes you can look around and and go you know seeing all the things that are broken and when we could instead say you know what if we're that one person that one uh, ray of light that sparks uh, other people to look inside of them share their story uncover some of the things that they're struggling with and be an encouragement to them because we just that's the whole point of hard table is if you're out there and you're like i'm this one person i feel even isolated but i want to i want to form a group that can bring hope to others we're looking for that type of person and you can if you're interested in possibly getting involved with heart table go to hearttable.org there's a contact us form you can fill that out that'll go directly to me and i'll, I'll respond in kind and get you set up you can also right now i think you can purchase um if you feel like you'd like to support our our little organization, you can download some books on on the site and uh, give it a try with a few people. And we're also here to support you. We have training videos. We're actually going to be spitting out here pretty soon. So, but right now we're just uh, going to be do that doing that manually and talking with people that are interested. So, anyways, well, gosh, that's number seven. So. We're on a roll here, Dave. Yeah, we are. And uh, again, Ellen, thank you so much for being willing to participate, share your life story, and how you've shared how you've overcome brokenness. And really, you've discovered a, a life-changing path that I'm yeah. sensing has more help and more peace. And thank you for that, Alan. Yeah, thank you, Alan. Well, well, thanks for the opportunity, guys. So, yeah, I can't say enough about Hard Table. You guys are doing great work, and uh, it was my pleasure to, to be uh, involved and participate, okay? Awesome. awesome. Thank you, Alan. Have a great day, right, everybody. Guys. This has been Heart Table with William Roberts, Terry Smith, Larry Malone, and Marcus Miazzo. Edited by Randy Strew for Envision Podcasting and copyright 2021 to Heart Table. For more information, visit hearttable.org.